Hello, everyone. Welcome. With me here today, I have Quadarius McCairn, and I am so excited about our chat. As a social justice and anti-racism educator, Quadarius McCairn has committed himself to researching and educating people on the systemic oppressions impacting us every single day through an anti-racist lens. Quadarius is the founder of McCairn Speaks, which specializes in providing an impactful experience through consultations, workshops, and conversations aimed at leading organizations to analyze unjust systems and create equitable spaces. Um, Q and I actually had the opportunity to meet about um, eight months ago, nine months ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've just really enjoyed seeing all that you're doing. So thank you again for spending time with me today, Q. And if you could just dig in a little bit, tell us who you are, where you're from, what's your story? Oh, definitely. I'm super, super excited to be here. I was super excited when you reach out to be able to talk a little bit. Um, so I'm Quadarius. I go by Q. Um, I'm originally from Dillon, South Carolina, born and raised in South Carolina and North Carolina. Um, and I went to UNC, Chapel Hill for undergrad, go Heels, uh, for all the Tar Heel fans out there. <laughs> uh, but I spent a lot of time at UNC focused around um, residence life. I'd have, uh, my major was in psychology, so I also focused around the soft sciences. And really a lot of my time at UNC was trying to figure out what do I wanna be and where do I, how do I wanna leave my quote unquote heel print at the university? And a lot of that kind of pulled me into higher ed, which transitioned me over to Texas State of all places for me to continue my education, a master's degree in uh, student affairs and higher education. And that's also where I had the wonderful opportunity to meet Cassandra and doing a TEDx talk at Texas State. So that's kind of a, a short kind of line of how we know each other. And I'm super excited to talk a little bit more about who I am, um, the things I'm doing now and kind of the journey that I took to get to this place where now I am owning a, a speaking firm, doing a clothing line uh, and really, really trying to hone in on my passions as well as ways that I can make the biggest impact in the world as possible. And that's one of, you know, that's one of the reasons I was so excited to have you here is because you really are just taking the things that you're passionate about, the things that really embody your spirit, and you're saying, this is who I am, this is what I want to put into the world, not just because of this is what fuels you, but because you have a, this deep, deep desire yeah. to really help others in and kind of dismantle some of the thoughts that we have about some structures. And I just, I really appreciate the, the authenticity that you bring to your work from because of that, you know, it's like anything you post or anything I see of yours, it's like, oh yeah, that's real. And you can feel that from you. Right. So, so I'm, I'm saying that the things that you do, so tell everybody what it is that you do so they know what I'm talking about. Definitely. So it's actually been around for about a year and a half now. I started uh, initially a speaking firm uh, focused around anti-racism and social justice work um, called McCarran Speaks, uh, where I speak and educate on various campuses, organizations, and spaces, platforms uh, around uh, uh, anti-racism practices and social justice work within the organizations and spaces that we all occupy. So it really started way back in March 2020, prior to uh, the pandemic hitting, actually a couple of weeks before, um, I had the opportunity to speak at Texas State 
for the Leadership Institute Conference. And I spoke about microaggressions and how microaggressions as these little um, ticks, these little words um, and ideas that people continuously speak on underrepresented populations, marginalized people in various spaces can create real, real harm for individuals in those spaces and can lead to burnout, can lead to lower retention rates. Um, and that conversation uh, actually sparked someone in the audience to talk to me afterwards. And in that conversation, they had just had a speaker fall out uh, or drop out of the lineup and they needed another speaker and they wanted me to join. And they asked me like a weird question. They were like, what is your speaker fee? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't do this for money. <laughs> and I looked back and my supervisor was like, just don't say anything. And afterwards, he kind of talked to me about the value of the value of my work and the value of the words and, and intellectual value. Mm -hmm. And in that conversation was really the birth of McCarran Speaks and learning that I have a lot of knowledge, a lot of research, a lot of experience to share with the world and how am I going to one, share that in various spaces, whether that be university life, whether it be corporations, um, and also how am I gonna be compensated for that as well? Because I'm a firm believer that our talents, our gifts, our thoughts, and our ability to help uh, organizations, universities, corporations, like I said, needs to be compensated in, in more ways than one. So that was the birth of McCarran Speaks and it's kind of really run away from there, gone from me doing speaking engagements to me changing my model to be focused on education focus first and longevity practices. So I don't do necessarily individual speaking engagements anymore. I create strategy sessions with university partners, organizational partners to create longevity and social justice work uh, because I don't believe that diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism work is a one-time punch. Similar, it's, it, that just doesn't work the way that I kind of anticipated initially. So as you can see, the business model, all of that has kind of evolved over the last year and a half. And now I'm at the place where I am settled in what I want to do. I'm very focused in the work that I, uh, the work that I know and that the research that I'm doing is relevant and is really helping so many people across the organizations that I support. So super excited to be able to talk to it more and really kind of dig deeper into the work that I do as a whole. Yeah, that's incredible that you, I, I agree with you so much, you know, those one, one in and out, you know, when you're talking about this, the topics that you are, you know, those have impact because people listen in that space, but it's not something that right. for the long-term change of attitudes or values, or just even, you know, the, to truly get the scope of something, you know, in a one hour, exactly. or something like that. So I love that you're, you're broadening that to be more education-based and that also really does add value based on your own expertise too. You know, that isn't, that's something where you're obviously creating curriculum then to teach people exactly. how, how to move, you know, move through different stages of these things instead of just like, oh, be interested in the topic for one hour or what happened. Right. That's so really exactly what it is, is curriculum instruction, creation, educating organizations on how to move from step A to B um, and really creating longevity in equity and inclusion work because policies, rules, regulations are entrenched in our systems. And how are we gonna change that through me talking to you for 60 seconds? It's right. not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. 
Right, because you really need that space to be able to even break down some of their policies and structures in organizations so they can mm -hmm. like, here's where here's where this is out here, but here's what where this is for right here in this organization or in this space. So I really think that's yeah. great that you expanded in that way. I think you'll be able to just not only reach more people, but make some more significant changes in those places where you really want there to be policy changes or structural changes, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so within the curriculum and the ways that you're developing this, is this something where, you know, this is just one piece of your overall organization though. So talk definitely. to me about all of these different arms that you have going on right now. Right. Yeah. So we have that piece of kind of curriculum design supporting organizations. I also most recently, uh, wow, that's almost been a year as well. I feel like every time moves so fast, <laughs> but I, I started kind of doing merchandise and moving into clothing uh, as a way for more people to kind of get the concepts and ideas that I have short and sweet and wear it on a shirt. Um, initially, that started with some hoodies that I released back in December. Um, and it was basically talking about comfortability and how nothing around anti-racism or social justice work is comfortable. I think that's one thing that everyone can agree that con uncomfortable conversations are critical to change. And that whenever we're really evaluating the ways we were brought up, the things we've learned, the ways that our society has literally taught us how to think about each other is majority wrong and how are we unlearning all of these various things um it's not a comfortable process so that's where i started with hoodies that basically said it ain't going to be comfortable and it gained a lot of traction around people and people really resonated with that so then i moved on to the spring making t-shirts mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of that focus was around um black living and that every time black lives are brought up in media, in conversations, a lot of times it's around whenever a black life has been lost at the hands of police, at the hands of the state, um, or unjustly. And I really wanted to shift the narrative of black living matters. And we need to really celebrate black rest, black uh, happiness, black living in general, mundanity. And that's really where my new shirts came from, of Black Living Matters while we're still alive too, because it's really important for us to celebrate just Black life and not just glory or really highlighting Black death whenever it happens. Though that is important, it's so important that we also celebrate and really understand and value Black people as we live in the world today. So that's kind of where the clothing brand has gone now. And it's really just a way for me to one, get the message out there even more, also, it's a way for me to really allow people to express themselves in a different way than me just talking or me pushing content out, but more so that everybody around the world who has a shirt can put it on, live the message, and really share to others that Black living matters while Black people are still living, breathing on the earth today. That's such a, a great message, Q. And I, um, you know, I did buy a shirt. I wish I would have gotten one of the hoodie. Now I want a hoodie because um, I like that too. But the thing that's cool about it is that it starts conversations too, you know? So it's right. like, I wear 100%. that shirt. People ask me about it. You know, they're like, oh, hey, where's that from? Or they'll, or they'll give you a second glance. And so I, I especially like to wear it to crowded places because I want people to see it, oh, yeah. it or what have you. But I think like you just 
you know, again, touched on such an important spot if just not only for other people, you know, to see like black living and to see like, yes, these lives in this wonderful space, instead of just seeing the, the death and these horrible things, but then also to give people hope and to see their real lives instead of just looking at social yes. media, instead of just looking at the news and seeing terrible things that could happen to them instead mm -hmm. just being able to see actual representation of no this that that's not me that's something bad that happens but I also exactly. want to see good things that happen to people who look like me or who are like me yeah exactly and sharing that happiness that really black joy is one of the biggest things that I want people to pull from this. And you made a really, really interesting point of wearing it in the crowded spaces or wearing it like to class or in situations like that. And you'll really, you can, you would think that it's not necessarily a provocative shirt. I don't think it is, but it brings out very interesting emotions in people as well who don't fully understand the concept of Black Lives Matter or whenever um, the focus is on one specific group of people. Um, so I think that that's also a message that it wants to be out there as well, like you said, of creating conversations yeah. and helping create also bigger and better allies as well. Because one, one of the blessings that I had of creating the show was working with an uh, amazing indigenous ally named Gavin Bell, who created all of the artwork for the t-shirts. And he was an amazing advocate, um, amazing collaborator on this project. And I think that really speaks to the importance of allyship and accompliship um, in the fights that we're facing of all the isms of being a true ally, supporting and advocating for change, because that's really the only thing that can happen for us to really live peacefully, live in joy, live comfortably for everybody to live comfortably. And that's the real true message behind the shirts altogether. No, and I love that you are not only trying, that, that you are doing this in such a multifaceted way. You're trying to not only educate and to inspire, but then, you know, how do we do that is by having these conversations. And we can't have these conversations unless we're willing to be uncomfortable, unless we're willing to kind of put ourselves out there and show people those things. So it's like, I love how I can see all of those things that you're doing. You know, I honestly thought about you a lot the last like couple of weeks because obviously I live in Texas and there's been some laws passed as a, an abuse survivor that I am not happy with. Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen a lot of social media images of people being angry or memes or just different things. And I've, I've Hard. pain at seeing a lot of those things. I have not wanted to see them or people have asked me to speak on things that I just haven't processed it well enough to be able to talk about how I feel about some of those things. So the right. reason I was thinking about you so much is because I knew we had this conversation coming up and I just, I, I was, I was thinking about how often you are seeing those images and seeing these things of destruction and that people, and again, I'm not trying to project or personalize that experience because this was my own in my own way. But it's like, right. I don't think that other individuals can really understand how just even seeing an image can be so mm -hmm. triggering and can be so damaging. And so this is also why, or, or bring up things where you're like, you know, really make you need to have a, a process some emotions. So right. with you creating just other visuals and other spaces, again, too, to add to that and to add to the rhetoric yes. of some positive spaces. And here is, yes, these are the things, but then what are we going to do about it? And how can we talk about it and move through that collectively? And I really appreciate the way that you are 
I mean, you work so diligently too to bring to bring people into this space with you. Yes, yes, that's a huge focus of mine. I don't think that this is any type of work that you should get siloed in doing or any in any way should I think that I'm the only person that should be speaking on these topics or trying to do this work at all. Um, I also really feel for you in, in, the, in what you just shared and I appreciate you for sharing that with me. And I agree that it's very difficult as somebody who is experiencing the things that other people are kind of just talking about or just posting about or just retweeting about. Um, that's a very, very difficult place to be in. And I think that one of my good friends, Ram says, he said before that rest is radical. And I think about rest, not just, oh, I'm about to go lay down in the bed, go to sleep, but more so how am I pulling away from things and like stepping back. So I think back to whenever Breonna Taylor was killed and I took a hiatus from social media. I just deleted the apps, got away from it, not because I, didn't feel for the situation, not because I didn't feel for her, but because I did. And because I could not sit and look at social media, look at posts, look at so many different visuals, videos, mm -hmm. and have peace within myself. And a lot of that is I need to step away. I need to deject so that I can be the best I can for the fight. Because regardless of what anybody says, all of this is a fight. Absolutely. And you have to rest, you have to take time, you have to pull away. Um, there's actually an Instagram account called The Nap Ministry. Um, and she was talking about how she does a hiatus every year in November of social media, of work. She pulls away and she rests for a full month. And I was like, that's a dream to be able to do that. But in the little ways we can, I think we should take a step back. It doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean that we don't feel for situations. It's because we do, and we need to be the best we can for this fight that we're really pushing for. Um, and, and that's my general push as well, is to take a step back. And that's what I do in order to take care of myself, take care of the people around me, and to be the best I can for every single engagement I have to do, for every single conversation I have to do, every single education session that I have to be a part of. I need to pull back so that I can bring my fullest self to educating others as to why these issues are so important. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's just such an important message that you just gave, and I hope that people really hold on to that. You know, so often, you know, we feel this sense of urgency to do and to help and yes. to dig in, which is so important. We need that. We need that momentum. We need that that fire. But then also, yeah, taking that step back and realizing that you have to refuel your not only your bo body, but your mind and your spirit, yes. you know, because it is depleting. And so mm -hmm. to really take that space and you mentioned social media and this is something too. And I know, obviously I want everybody to go watch your TEDx talk about, <laughs> uh, you know, as well, but this is something too, that I know you and I've talked a little bit about, like I struggle with because I want to go all in and be, you know, here's everything I have to say about all these topics, but I was finding myself getting so exhausted in the minutia of managing people's yes. comments and, or, you know, of fighting people on social media or combating them. Mm -hmm that it no longer almost became a productive space for me to use my voice for advocacy. And instead I had yeah. to kind of almost be like, all right, where am I gonna, where am I gonna speak out instead? Or where am I gonna use my voice? But then that's interesting because 
people will look at your social media and say, well, you didn't say something about this, or you didn't say something about that. Mm-hmm. And so that what I'm leading up to is, I guess, you know, part of your work too, is also talking about activism as performance and about the mm-hmm. ways where, you know, somebody could be wonderfully available to a whole group of people, but they might never say anything about it on social media, you know, or, you know, so just wondering if you can talk to me a little bit more about kind of some of the ways that you see some of this happening or what your stance is on some of these things. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really important topic to talk about of performative activism, performative advocacy, and a lot of ways that it does show up is in social media. It's not exclusive to social media, but a lot of it shows up in social media. And I think one point you made was somebody not posting, but being in the street protesting or donating to mutual aid funds or doing all of these things, quote unquote, behind the scenes versus the person who is posting every single time something happens, somebody who is sharing a post, um, but is doing nothing to change their own mind or unlearn anything they've learned throughout their lives, nor helping other people in any way, shape, or form do that as well. And I think that performative activism shows up in so many different ways. I will put my TED Talk, go listen to it, um, where I go in depth in it for 10 minutes. But really, performative activism as itself is, is the perception of allyship and support with marginalized people, but none of the fruits thereof. So it's similar to saying, like, I care about you, I support you, Black Lives Matter but not doing anything on the back end to advocate for black lives, not doing anything in terms of politics to be able to push or support policies that are anti-racist or pushing for um, equity in terms of all the landscapes around black lives. I think that it goes across the board of saying one thing and doing another. And that's why I say social media is where it manifests a lot because it's so easy to click retweet and say, oh my gosh, I'm an activist, I'm done. Or so easy to post something on social media and say, I care about this. And that's one stance, that's not necessarily a bad thing in itself. That's the, the biggest conversation I have with people is that social media not in itself is evil, I don't think. I don't think it's evil in itself, but it can create this false sense of I'm making a difference whenever you're not necessarily doing so. So I challenge a lot of people to be intentional in the work that you're doing. How much capital are you able to donate to the people who are on the ground doing grassroots efforts to advocate and support marginalized communities? How many, after something happens, how are you really educating people in your circle? How many times is somebody in your circle saying something against a marginalized group of people and you're sitting silent and not saying anything? How many times are you at a university or working for an organization that refuses to advocate for marginalized people, or you're in a space where the people in the space are continually advocating against the success, the well-being, the joy, the comfort of marginalized people in that space, whether directly or indirectly. I think that that's where we see true activism and support versus performative, because just like you said, it's a performance. It's you taking the opportunity to show people that you are an advocate without bearing the fruits thereof. And that's something that I, like I said, in my TED talk, I go deeply into it. It's something I'm very passionate about because marginalized people feel it on the back end whenever there's the performance up front and no support on the back end. And it actually inflicts true harm 
uh, in terms of performative activism. And the example that I do like to talk about is how universities say they care, say they take care of all students, especially students of color. But then you look at retention rates, you look at graduation rates, you look at faculty and staff numbers, you're looking at everything in itself. And you're saying you aren't really creating any type of structures for students of color, for marginalized students to really succeed at your university. So what are you really doing? And that's really the base level crux of performative activism is what are you really doing to advocate and support for underrepresented people, marginalized people? Um, and that's really the crux of the conversation as a whole. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that translates then, you know, that is obviously such a huge space, you know, for people mm -hmm. individually on social media, and then even as you're saying at universities, do you see that now as you're, as you're developing the curriculum for these organizations, do you kind of see some of those similar threads across that too? Because of course, think about all the businesses that came out over the last year with DNA statements, you know, or like now every, every brand has a diversity inclusion page on their website, mm -hmm. or I got an email from every per, you know everything I've ever bought telling me what their stance was what do you right. think about that <laughs> that's that is that that is how do I even start that's something that is so funny to me and I think that that's something in my circles that was uh very funny and very sad at the same point that there are so many organizations that so many organizations corporations universities that had said nothing until they saw somebody's feet put to the fire. And now everybody's rattling something out because I don't want to be next. Um, and that really is a performance in itself. And I think that when you, you can look at DEI statements, you can look at posts that people put on Instagram. Um, but uh, one post that I saw recently actually said, I don't want to see your DEI statements. I don't want you to tell me how much you care about inclusion and equity. I want to see your hiring records. I want to see your board of directors. I want to see your faculty and staff. I want to see your student population. I want to see your student success centers. And if they have programming that is focused and targeted towards marginalized students directly, that's that's the biggest thing of it because you can the performance is like I'm going to put out a statement and say we care about these things but then we're not going to do anything else and as long as we put that statement out people know our stance then we're good we can keep operating business as usual um but I do see that in the work that I do even in the reason I transitioned from speaking engagements to kind of strategy design is because a lot of speakers are being brought in as the performance and that I'm going to bring in this DEI speaker to talk about microaggressions so that people know that we care, but then we're not going to do any work past that. So I'm going to bring in a speaker once every two years to talk about this and then we're good business as usual after that. And I think that that's why I shifted is because every single step of the line you're going to be up against, are, are they doing this for performance? As I'm working with different organizations, I have to make sure that they know that I am not here to be a performance for you. And a lot of that comes with how much are you, how much time, energy, capital are you investing in this to give towards DEI justice equity, all of that solutions for your organizations. So that means when I come in, we're not focusing on, okay, am I doing this post about equity and inclusion? I hope you're already doing that. 
one thing I'm focusing on is your policies, rules, and regulations. Let's make sure that those are inclusive, equitable. I'm looking at your, if your organization, your recruitment tactics, how inclusive and equitable are they? Are you targeting communities of color? Are you equipped to support communities of color? Because I don't want you to just recruit a whole bunch of <laughs> marginalized people and then your organization is not ready to support them, advocate for them and have them in that space. So the work that I do is very below the grid um, and it doesn't allow for the organizations or corporations or universities to have that opportunity to be performative in that sense, because I'm, I don't wanna focus on those things that are so DEI statement, Instagram post, all of that, that's, that's a performance in a sense. And I want to focus on those ground level things that are going to create a better working environment for the people who are at your corporation, for the workers at your university, for the students at your college, for the members of your organization. I want to make sure that those people feel heard, feel felt, feel included, and that all of your design is inclusive, that all of your design is equitable, that all of your design is justice focused. And that's my approach in order to avoid the performance. Because the performance, it doesn't do anything but make you look good in the eyes of few. But whenever you actually create that true change, then there's so many dynamics that shift across the organization. But the biggest thing there is not everybody's on board. And it's right. like, how do you have those conversations long-term? Right, and that's where, you know, I just keep writing down so many things that you're saying too, you know, about the value and respect and, you know, people want to be, people want to feel seen, heard and valued. We know this about human, right. human connection. So I'm not sure why it is so hard for people to understand <laughs> that this is applicable elsewhere too. Then like all you're asking is no, like see what's happening, see, hear and value people for people and, and you're saying, come in, I'm coming in, I'm showing you how to do this. I can give you a blueprint for the ways that this can look. And it's interesting to me because these are all principles that I would teach in my relationship classes. They're, you know, the golden rule, treat right. people, you know, these are not foreign concepts. It's not like you're coming mm -hmm. in here being like, I have this new idea that we could respect others. Right. <laughs> So, exactly. you know, like how, so sometimes the resistance and the combativeness, like how, how do you kind of finesse that or navigate that when you're in there, when you know you are dealing with a wide variety mm -hmm. of perspectives? Right. And that's, that's honestly one of the most interesting parts of doing, especially consulting strategy, education, work around social justice is that you're going to run into people that either don't agree or are completely against whatever you're doing and aren't even listening to the words you're saying. And I feel like a lot of that is for me, everybody has their different approaches. I prefer to attack, tackle it head on um, because I think that those create the most positive solutions in the long run. Um, a lot of those conversations are not comfortable or if somebody is saying, I don't agree with that, then the question is, what do you, don't, what do you not agree with? Which parts of what I'm saying do you not agree with? But a lot of that comes up whenever I say that non-racism doesn't exist. There's no such thing as non-racism. That's a stance I have. You are racist or you are pushing for anti-racism. Those are the two strands. And a lot of times whenever I bring up that concept in an education session, it's like, oh, well, what if you're, what if you're just not fully uh, 
pushing towards racism? What if you're not saying racist things? What if you're not voting for racist people? Like, what if that? And I'm saying then, if you are not actively pushing for anti-racist policy, not actively pushing for anti-racist spaces, then you are perpetuating racist narratives and ideas. I'm not calling you a racist. I'm saying that we, as an organization, are pushing racist ideals. We're perpetuating the ideals of white supremacy in this space. Um, and those aren't comfortable conversations, but they lead to positive results whenever somebody is finally like, okay, I get that, I understand that. Or whenever somebody says, oh, I understand you're not attacking me, you're attacking the system. You're not saying that I am a racist, you're saying that the system is racist and I'm helping uplift that system. And that's whenever the best moments happen, whenever you get people to understand that nobody is calling you the worst person in the world right now. And most of the times people are not necessarily out here saying racist, horrible things overall. But a lot of that for me is like, how am I attacking the conversation head on? How am I not skirting around the bush? And a lot of times the end of that conversation is not the most pleasant. Sometimes we both feel kind of icky, you know, but that's why you have to have further conversations. That's why I can't come and talk to you one time and it's over because we have to continually have that conversation. And then eventually we're gonna get to the point that you understand it. Or eventually we're gonna get to the point that we reach a ground where you are supporting, advocating and understanding the people that you work with, the people that you are surrounded by and that the long-term effects change. I told a student the other day, actually, that by working with me for this semester, you shouldn't expect your organization to be anti-racist system come November 30th. That's not how any of this works. But I want you to be able to look back five, 10 years from now and say, oh my goodness, my organization is so much farther than I thought they were when I was there. My organization is so diverse, so inclusive. People feel comfortable around my organization. And that's what we're trying to do. We're not necessarily trying to change people in one conversation. It doesn't always work that way. So what are we doing to make sure that we are create, playing the long game in a sense and make sure we're having critical conversations at every step of the road? Hey, are you loving this conversation as much as Q and I did? If so, I'd love for you to take a screenshot of this episode and share it to your Instagram stories. Tag me at Dr. Cassandra LeClaire so I can personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this powerful conversation. Now let's continue the episode with Q. Yeah, that's so important. And I think like too, you know, one of my favorite things to tell my students is difficult conversations don't become easier if we avoid them, right? Yes. Easier yes. to continue to have that. So you have to keep having those conversations, just like you're saying, I love that approach because it's the same way with when I'm teaching about personal growth and development, you know, from an awareness standpoint with my students, it's like, I don't just go in there one day. I have that whole semester with them to see right. the growth, right? And then I hear from them years later and they're like, oh, remember this now? I still see how, how that works for me. You're doing that in this space for people in an organization. I love that example you shared about, you know, what does your organization, where does it come in five years then? And being in right. that space, but really being part of that. And also to those conversations with people, sometimes it's like getting them to separate out like, 
no, I'm not saying you did this behavior, but you are part of the structures where the, these behaviors are allowed right. or upheld. So like, let's be pissed at the structure then and not be yes. pissed at each other. Like, you know? Like, right. Let's, let's both be mad at this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like find unity in our anger and then right. work to undo that or what have you instead of just, and that's why I, I do love so much that you're going in there for those multiple conversations too, because I think it's so easy for somebody to like watch a one-off or watch a talk or hear somebody say something and then just be like pissed at that person or to be like, oh, that didn't reach right. me or, or I don't like how that person did that. So for you to just keep showing up in that space and just to really dig into the material that you're creating and to also get them to see you as like, no, I'm here to, to show you this as who I am from my heart and why this is important. And that's a different level of getting people to connect to things too, I think, you know, of right. really, really like making it personal, you know, cause this shit is personal. This is not, so personal. Yeah. This is not just some, Oh, out here we can care about it. And, and it should be personal for all of us. Again, if we're getting back to it being about the collective and empathy and compassion and understanding and really valuing people, that's about mm-hmm. everyone. So, okay. So I mean, I'm kind of weaving all over the place. I'm just so excited about all your adventures. What other things you got going on or what do you want to, what do you want to speak to us about? Well, I mean, for me, I'm just so excited to continue doing this work on a, on a bigger scale. Um, at this point, I'm working with two universities right now, this semester. Um, I'm continuing to work on the clothing piece, trying to create more hoodies for the fall, so I'll get you one uh, whenever they're created. But my whole focus is not really around making a whole lot of money. My focus is not around being a celebrity. Um, that's not how I operate. And I think that for me, that is the beauty of my work to me, is that I am trying to just come in and connect with people and create better spaces for everybody. I like to say that one, I want to move spaces from that kind of phase of, oh, I'm listening, I'm learning, to action and change. Because organizations can listen and learn forever. You can keep learning forever. But when are we going to transition to creating action and really changing our, our organizational selves for the people that exist within us. And that's really my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is to really push organizations to change. And my real focus of McCarran Speaks as a whole is if I can change one group, then I'm doing my job. Like I said before, this isn't like Q taking over the world, trying to work with every single entity out there. I understand that this is a work that there's room for everybody. Everybody can needs to be a part of social justice work, creating change. Not everybody needs to be on TV screaming, but everybody has a responsibility within their organizations, within their space, within their means to push and advocate for change. Um, and I think that my role is to go in, connect, provide support, provide expertise in the areas that I have it and help people understand and create change in order for like that small subset of people to feel like they're included in that space. I've worked with 
organizations that were 20 people. I've worked with organizations that are 100 people. And my really penultimate goal is to make sure that that 20 people or that 100 people feel like they're included in the org. And one thing that I continually find is that organizations that exclude people, those people, those members leave or corporations that are not truly inclusive, that don't truly advocate for people with marginalized identities in their corporations, in their businesses, they don't retain those people. Universities that don't advocate for their students that are having marginalized identities, they don't retain those students. And it is in, if, if people don't understand it any other way, it is in your most, it's in your best monetary. Yeah, that's uh, what I was gonna say, means. understand the money. <laughs> <laughs> right, if you, if you only listen to money, it is in your best monetary compensation wise view to diversify your staff, diversify your faculty, to focus on inclusive practices by design. It's in your best monetary focus to have a, a justice focused approach to everything and really creating a space where people feel comfortable there and not just the dominant identity groups that exist at your organization. Everybody has to feel included. And, and sometimes people don't understand it unless you bring in money. So it's in your best, it's in your best interest across the board to change because I personally I don't think we're going to be able to survive and push forward in this world unless we shift and change it's not going to work no it's I mean we're it's it's too broken right now with the mm -hmm. ways that you know across multiple it's broken multiple levels right you know on an yeah. individual level organizational level societal level there's just too many things that now, but, you know, and this is a great space for that to happen. You know, it's a great space exactly. time. Let's bust it open. And that's what you're doing is you're really encouraging people to have these conversations, but then have the lasting change associated with that. And then, right. and I think that too, you know, as you said, not only does that, you know, uphold everybody in the organization, but it's amazing what can happen when people feel supported, right? Then that kind of energy fuels through everything else. So all of a sudden you have exactly. these inclusive programs or you have these statements or you really have this organizational culture where everybody feels that, that translates out into, you know, hey, let me help you with this. Let that translate into this energy that does increase your productivity and it impacts you on so many other levels, right? So it's just like, if you could get people to also understand that it's not just about the right now, it's about that feeling that then can extend throughout and then not just at work, then I leave work and I felt more supported there. So then I go out and I'm more supported in the rest of the world because I had a better day at work. You know, just, it's like cyclical and the, the energy behind it, it can just change so many perspectives, I think. And it, it, I think maybe that's also there why people kind of shy away from this work too, is they sometimes feel like it has to be so big, you know, I'm making all of these changes. What can I do? Where am I going? What can I do? And instead it's like, no, it's like right here. It's right here. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was the best point too. If people think it has to be huge, it has to be like, let's fix the whole system by 2022. <laughs> and it's like that. That is impossible, but what can you do? I think that the biggest misconception or there's a huge struggle between like individual responsibilities and the collective good as, as well. And I'm gonna try and say this in the right way because I'm 
catching up with my thoughts as they're sprinting through my head right now. <laughs> but I'm thinking about that idea of how I said, I'm not calling you a racist. I'm saying that the system of racism is an issue, but it is our all, it is all of our personal responsibilities to push back against that system. So no, it is not on you individually. The system as, as a whole needs to be taken down, but it is all of our individual responsibilities to attack that system for the collective good. Yeah. I yeah. hope that makes sense. It like absolutely that's, did make sense. That's no, all I'm of my with, thoughts into one. I'm thing. with you. My brain is bouncing all over the place. And I just keep thinking about the different ways that this can, you know, that that this impacts so many different facets of people's lives. And that again, I think the biggest thing that we're feeling right now is hopefully a collective awakening a little bit too of some greater Definitely. awareness. You know, and so that's where, like you said, no, this isn't going anywhere. This isn't like, oh, we're just going to smooth this over right here. This is like breaking something open that has needed to be talked about. And it has always been talked about, you know, people have been having, this isn't new conversations, you know, it's not like right. this is like, oh, let's think about this. It's just more that the conversation is getting bigger you know, and that's what needs to happen. Those uncomfortable conversations, it needs to keep getting bigger, right? Well, how does something get bigger? It starts with something small, right? So the, again, those daily conversations, the wearing the shirt, but then the donating, the really talking about things, the boots on the ground type stuff, as opposed to the ideas in the sky, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Given all of this work that you do, that is obviously very, um, labor intensive and emotionally intensive, how do you, you know, the, the focus of this podcast too is called being whole because we're looking at people and how people are really valued, but then also how we keep ourselves whole. How do you separate? How do you take time for yourself, you know, so that you can, again, retain everything you said, rest so that you can go out and right. do work? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a very big thing. And like I said, that's something I've been focusing on very, very or more intentionally over the past year or so, I would say, as I've been doing this work as kind of a business as a whole, it's very much more intensive and having critical conversations multiple days a week, like that kind of shifts the amount of uh, time you're really giving to these topics. Um, but for me, there's, there's multiple ways that I kind of keep myself whole um, kind of empathizing with myself and, and rest as, as a practice. So one of those is that I'm, I'm very spiritual. Um, I lean on God a lot for me to be myself, for me to pray to him. Um, that's sort of my meditation piece as well. Um, and making sure that I'm setting aside time for me to spend time in that way. Because for me, that's something that I need in order to continually push forward in this work. And I don't think that all of these things are mutually exclusive, right? Like all of the different systems of oppression all intertwine and they affect us in multiple areas of our life. Um, but that kind of goes into my rest as well is that I need to, um, in my head, diversify my ways of resting because I feel like if I focus on one one specific thing, I'm, I'm it's not going to work for me. So very spiritual. That's my focus. That's my meditation. That's my peace. Um, I also love, love music. And for me, if I can put on music for an hour in the mornings while I'm drinking a cup of coffee, that's something that I use to ground myself and that I'm able to just relax. Um, 
if I'm not able to wake up that early before work, then I'll try and listen to music over lunch or something like that, just to like, you know, give myself the space to relax and be me for a little while. Um, I also lean on my partner, my fiance, a lot um, for us to be able to just um, kind of support each other. I think us having that kind of connection with each other has allowed us to continually challenge each other to say, hey, you need to slow down. You've been giving a lot recently. I can see your cup is about to uh, be empty. You need to slow down, take a second and pause. And then I'm able to do the same. Uh, but that's so important to me to have that kind of accountability partner, that uh, account accountability uh, partner to be able to ground me in that as well. Um, but for me, that's like, that's like three different spaces that I'm able to, okay, let me ground myself. Also, the fourth would be withdrawing from stimuli, withdrawing from social media, withdrawing from the news outlets. Something is happening every single day. I need to take a step back, breathe, for me to be any good to anybody. Um, and that also goes for before I speak, before I do any type of strategy session, before I do any type of virtual engagement, I take 30 minutes and just breathe for me. That's what I need. I'm an introvert. I don't just, I, maybe contrary to popular belief, I'm an introvert and I need time to recharge and build myself up a little bit before I'm standing in front of a hundred people talking for 75 minutes. That's just me. And so I understand my boundaries. I understand what I need. And by far, that's been the best thing for me since I've started doing more and more social justice oriented work is that I need to know where my boundaries are, knowing that I can't save the world in one day, but also knowing that I have people and things I can lean on in order to ground myself, empathize with myself and continually build myself up to be better for the fight that we have ahead. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I just want to clap for you right now, honestly. <laughs> but that's so important. The ways that you spoke to all of that is not only because, you know, that's my whole thing. You have to nurture all those aspects of yourself, your creative self, your spiritual self, your emotional self, your mental, you know, all of those things, your physical being to really, that's how we, we can go forward. Like you say, to give back right. to others. And so really to take stock of the ways, and you just said all of that, you know, the different ways that it's important for you to nurture each of those pieces of who you are, right? So that then you can go forward. Right. And I also love, it's so funny because I'm with you. Everybody thinks I'm so extroverted. It's what we do, right? You know, we're out there talking. I'm like, no, I just need to go hide in my hole right now because I've been talking. Right. <laughs> Just give me 30 minutes. I just need to let me breathe for a second. That's hard for my friends and family to understand. I had to tell people one day, I was like, I use all of my extroversion points like at work. And then like, I have no talking ability left by the time I get done. <laughs> I just then, and, but so even that, like really recognizing that about myself took me a long right. time. This is why I'm so glad to hear you speak about the ways that you really solidify those boundaries because that too then you're showing other people who want to do this work you're really embodying this is how you can be intentional about it but still preserve like yourself and your sense of identity and keep yourself in a space that's healthy for you which is so important in this work that you're doing yeah. so I think you can really 100%. inspire people and give other people who are doing this work permission to do that as well so yes yes set your boundaries and figure out what do you need personally 
because I agree with you, knowing what you need mm-hmm. is, is, is the crux of all of this, of self-care, of taking care of who you are, being whole, being empathetic for yourself. It all comes with learning what you need yeah. as a person. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Such a good conversation, Q. I'm so (laughs) glad that you were here. Okay. So before we cut off, I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. What are you working on right now? Like, how can we get in touch with you? Yes, please. My my main, main two different ways to get in touch with me. Instagram is number one. Uh, I'll respond to direct messages pretty easily. You can follow me at McCarran Speaks on Instagram at M-C-E-A-C-H-E-R-N-S-P-E-A-K-S. A lot of letters, but you can follow me there. Um, and on Instagram, you'll have access to my website, to my email, um, to everything to be able to see the work that I'm doing. Um, it's interesting to hear about it on a podcast, but also to see it is even better. Um, and I feel like you will be able to learn a lot about who I am and why I care so much about social justice and really creating equitable, inclusive spaces for everybody. So I'm just super excited to be able to have this conversation. I'll be able to talk to you and really ready for our paths to cross again. I know. Well, thank you so much. And yes, I'm going to link everything in the show notes too, as far as your website, Instagram, and then also so people can go watch your TEDx talk. And again, I would also really do encourage people to go check out your website and read your story too, and read more about your why, which we didn't even, we covered so much (laughs) into that, right? But this is great because then people can go also learn more about you as a person. So we'll link everything up in there, but please go find um, Q again on social media and just think about the ways, all of the things that he said today, really, this is so within reach for everyone. You know, nothing that you said today is something that I'm like, oh, I can't do this. There's nothing for me that I can do or that I can't help or I can't be part of this. Like that you're creating a space where you're being inclusive in this work, which is also so important for other people to be able to then rise up and take their place. And so you're not up there standing alone, right? Right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again. This was Quadarius McCairn, and I look forward to seeing where Q goes. I cannot wait. I know you're going to just do big things. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you for being here with me today, Q. Definitely. Thank you so much. That was such an amazing conversation. And here are some of my takeaways from today. We all have gifts to share with this world. And if you find yourself doing similar work to Q, it's important to be asking for adequate compensation. Your knowledge carries so much value to those that you serve. So honoring yourself is how you live in alignment. Growth is uncomfortable. Being anti-racist in a society that is created around racist structures and policies is uncomfortable. It's so impactful to spark these conversations, to learn to live the message that black living matters while black people are still living and breathing on the earth. Being a true ally to support and advocate change is the key for us all to live comfortably together in this world. Rest is radical. How are you stepping back from things and creating an energetic and emotional boundary around the things that might be triggering to you? Disconnecting from these things is so important to be the best you for those around you and to continue the mission of moving forward and creating true change. 
Social media can be toxic if you're not intentional with how and where you share your voice about social justice and other hugely important topics. It's one thing to post about something, but look at what you're doing behind the scenes to create positive change and make efforts to unlearn. We can listen and learn forever, but it's time to take action and create change. Be intentional and have an accountability partner to ground you and remind you to do these things on a regular basis, whether that's breath work or music or exercise. Visit the show notes for the links to Q, including his Instagram and his powerful TEDx talk. Thanks, everyone.